Hey everyone, welcome to Humbled, a podcast about athlete transitions. I'm Kristen Harold's daughter, former collegiate rower and PhD in exercise physiology. And I'm Erin Kafara McKenzie, former two-time Olympic gold medalist. Through the Humbled podcast, we're trying to destigmatize and normalize the conversation around the often difficult and isolating period of athlete transition. Every week, a retired athlete or professional in the athletic world will be interviewed by us. Instead of talking about their tips and tricks to getting to the top of the podium, we have an honest conversation about what it was like to leave their sport, start the next challenge, and how their experience as a competitive athlete shaped their experiences beyond sport. We are going grassroots style here on Humbled Podcast and fueling the fire through listener donations. So if you dig this content and want more stories, go ahead and head on over to humbledpodcast.com slash donate. That's H-U-M-B-L-E-D podcast.com slash donate and show us some love. We appreciate you. So today we talk with Brianne Tyson-Eaton, who is an incredible two-time Olympic track and field athlete from Canada. She retired from active competition not long after winning a bronze medal at the 2016 Rio Olympics. And we caught up with Brianne actually in, in my neighborhood of the San Francisco Bay Area, where she is now working for a pretty darn cool health and performance startup. So listen in as we get into her journey, navigating the transition from being a world-renowned athlete, not to mention also married to one, to a professional girl boss in the Silicon Valley. It was not without its ups and downs. I grew up in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, Canada. So it 5,000 people, very small. It's the kind of place where my mom would always tell me, like when I'd come home from being out at night in high school, she'd be like, you you better just tell me at one o'clock in the morning when you get home, what happened? Because by the time you wake up tomorrow morning, I'll already know. Like <laughs> the town was small. Oh, everybody knew each other's business, but yeah. it was also really great because I, I had so much freedom, you know, like uh. the, it was safe. My parents let me kind of do whatever I wanted. And um, let me like go and experience and make mistakes. It, you know, just so it, it was such a cool place to grow up. Um, and the community was so supportive. Uh, I played all kinds of sports, like did pretty much everything. Um, was there anything that you like were drawn to? Yeah. So in seventh grade is when I started playing like the team sport. So I, and I just played every, every time like a new season would come around volleyball, soccer, basketball, whatever. So you were the three sport athlete. Like, yeah. From young age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then track and field season came around, which was the last sport of the season of like the school year. Mm-hmm. And I had never done it before. I just kind of did a bunch of jumping events and running events. And I, I, I mean, I could tell right away, this was something that came very easily. You know, it was just like, huh different than the other sports. Um, and I just kind of fell into it. And my parents, um, started, you know, asking if I want, well, first of all, I was talking to coaches in a bigger city, um, uh-huh. because they would come to all of these high school track meets yeah. and, and would you do, you would do multiple event, events even well, in high school? No. So you could, so you could only do four events at like, we call it the provincial meet 
for you guys, it would be the state, okay. you know, track meet. Okay. Um, you can only do four events, but once I got recruited by these coaches in this bigger city, mm-hmm. um, in Canada, you do like club sports. So a lot of people will just do high school track and field or high school basketball. But if you wanted to go kind of beyond that and like hone your skills a little bit better, you would join like a club team. So I got recruited by this club team to come and train in this bigger city. And after one year of training with them, so in ninth grade, I started training with them. So I drive like four times a week after school, like an hour each way to go train with these, this team. Wow. And, um, after my first year of doing that, the, my coach called my dad and was like, she's, she's just not elite caliber or world caliber level individually at any of these events. But I think that she could do well if she did the heptathlon, like combine them. Cause she's, she's a good athlete. She's kind of good at everything, but like not outstanding at any one thing. And I remember being really pissed off. <laughs> just being like, I, you know, like yeah. he, he's telling me I need to like throw shot put and javelin and run the 800. Like I had never done it. I was like, I can't, I can't well, do yeah. that. You're like, I just started. Yeah. Like, yeah. You. Like give so, me a chance, buddy. Yeah. So he basically told me, um, the next day he was like, if you give this a shot and train for it for like eight months, I bet you can make world youth championships. And I was like, where are the world youth championships? And he was like, Morocco. And at that point I was like, okay, (laughs) I'll do it. And then, yeah, that's how I got into it. Wow. Yeah. So I did. So trained with this club all through school, um, all through high school, but it was more just to like go on these cool trips and go to world juniors and go to world youth. And, and then, and then it became about, um, as I had said a little while ago at that, that the talk we had, um, it was like, let's get a scholarship so I don't have to pay for school. So that right. was kind of my goal all through high right. school is just get a scholarship and then. Yeah. And then what was, what was like the value of sport? Like growing up, like did your parents play sports or was it just something that like everybody in your town did? It was something that everybody in my town did because if everyone didn't do it, we wouldn't have enough people to like put together right, a sports right. team. Yeah. Um, but no, like, what are we going to do on a Friday night? You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. It was like, um, I mean, if you played sports and you were good at sports, it was like mm-hmm. you were part of like the popular group. So my whole, mm-hmm. my whole town was all like very sports driven. I mean, mm-hmm. we have like a hockey team that our whole town just kind of like rallies around and, um, yeah, like, hockey is serious in Canada. Yeah, yeah. So there, it's like, yeah, sports was a big deal. Um, and my both my parents played. I mean, my dad played hockey, football. My mom ran track and field, basketball, volleyball, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Just high school level. Um, so nothing major, but yeah, I, I don't know. It was just like something that I was drawn to. I was like very aggressive, stubborn <laughs> yeah. kind of kid. Do you do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have a sister and she is the complete opposite of me. She older? She's younger. Younger. So my my parents always say this. We we played um like league soccer. So we'd travel around to different tournaments, both my sister and I. My dad is like, would always say, you were the kid that when you'd lose a game, you'd come into the car, you'd throw your bag down. You'd be complaining you know, about how crappy everybody played and like, let's just go the hell home. I don't even want to do this anymore. And my sister was the the kid who would come in and be like, no matter what the game, if the game was like total shit, she'd be like, where are we going to eat? Can we go to the hotel and go on the water slide? So it was just like, we were totally different. That's fascinating because there's, there's like a lot of research. And I think most of the research is actually done from the NFL, but like on, um, uh, 
elite athletes being the youngest sibling because they always Hmm. had to like play catch up, you know, and like basically got the, you know, fast track to getting better because they just wanted to, you know, hang out and play. And that was, I mean, I'm a younger sibling and thankfully I had a nice older brother that let me like hang out and, and like, you know, do the roller hockey tournaments with his friends and like, yeah, hang out. But that's interesting that you like were the more, you know, aggressive type. Cause it seems like, you know, the younger sibling is the one that's like, Hey, I need food too. Like I need to like, <laughs> yeah. don't forget about me, but it sounds like you guys were opposite. Yeah. I mean, I, it's tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, growing up, you know, we didn't get along all the time. We're four years yeah. apart. So I still feel oh. like we, we had, I mean, as four year apart, girls, not a lot in common, but now we get along really well. But I just think it, it, part of me feels like the, the athletic piece was just like our personalities. Like I I'm very like stubborn and aggressive and I can be very selfish. And my sister's like soft and caring and she's like Mm -hmm. a nurse and she just wants everyone to, you know, she wants to help everybody. So I don't, part of me kind of feels like it, it's just like our personalities as well. I mean, I Kristen, you can probably speak to this with your younger sister actually being a heptathlete as well. Yeah. Right. And like, I don't know, is Carolina like more aggressive than you are? I mean, you're 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 pretty feisty. We're we're really similar in that we're both extremely intense when we want to be. But I think I'm definitely it's, it's a similar dynamic. Like I was pissed. I took everything so like. Oh man, if something didn't go well, I was just so pissed. And my sister always had like a level head about her and she still does like, like she's able to put stuff into perspective. She's like, oh no, we should like eat some chicken nuggets for dinner. You know, like similar, mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, let's watch a movie. Yeah. And I would just be like, like for days if, if we lose, I'm like, it, like, like life is over. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. So similar. Um, I would say now she's bounced back a lot better than I did. So like, (laughs) she, like maybe it had something to do with like how, like mood swings or I don't know. I I identify with that though. Like I, I at least wish I had had her, I I had been able to think about dinner rather than just like getting mad. I know. Yeah. It was kind of a poor sport when I was younger. I had to learn that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Tell me about like, where you did that carry over into college? So you, you got a scholarship mm-hmm. to go to university of Oregon, mm-hmm. which is pretty badass. I mean, it's yeah. not like, you know, the worst school by any means. And, and especially track and field is, you know, like how did, how did that come about? Yeah. Um, the U of O had pretty much everything. It just had like a balance of everything I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I looked at other schools, um, that, that were like academic, like Stanford or Syracuse that had ac- really great academics, but mm-hmm. I just felt like, okay, that piece is great, but like, where are the athletics? And Oregon mm-hmm. just, I wanted to do business school. It has a great business school. The track team is great. I felt like I fit in. Eugene was nice. And yeah. so it just had like a really good balance of everything. And, um, I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was super intense when I was there because I felt like everybody around me was very intense. Like all of my teammates, like everyone that goes to the University of Oregon on, whether they're on a scholarship or not and is running track and field there is serious about what they're doing because that's why they wanted to come to the University of Oregon. It's like capital of, of 
the United States for track and field and they have these amazing facilities and there's all this history. And, um, I got there, I didn't know anything about the history really. Like mm-hmm. I knew the name Prefontaine, like, but I didn't really know. Bill. Who yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, Bowerman. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. And all my teammates were like, this is unbelievable. And they're telling me all this history. I'm like shrugging my shoulders, like, cool, you know? And, yeah. and then I learned over time, um, like how big of a deal it was yeah. to be there. And so And that's really like what shaped, I think, my athletic career was being there because you'd you'd compete at like a small track meet in preseason track meet and there'd be like thousands of people there. I was like, this is how many people we would get to like our our Canadian university football games. (laughs) So it was just like a different world to me. Did you know before you went to University of Oregon or when when did you realize that going to the Olympics might be a possibility? Well, I didn't want, I didn't have any ambition of going to the Olympics before I went to school there. And I think, um, so I finished my first year of school, my freshman year of college in 2008. Mm -hmm. And then in 2008, that summer was the Olympic track and field trials in Eugene for the Beijing Olympics. So all of these track and field athletes, like the pros, were coming to Eugene and competing at the Olympic trials. And so I watched for, I don't know, 12 days or how long ever long the trials went for. And I was like, this is so cool. You know, like yeah. all these people are going to Olympics and that's when I, and then I watched that summer. I mean, I obviously watched the Olympics growing up, but then I watched that summer. I had teammates from the U of O that had made the team. And so like watching them, you know, over the course of that summer at the Olympics, like competing, I was like, this is unbelievable. And that's like kind of what fueled everything. And I was like, mm-hmm. I got to try to make an Olympic team. Yeah. So it was, it was like, you remember the decision being like, now I want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too was just like, I was around like-minded people, like all of my friends, everybody I hung out with every day. It was like, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to go to the Olympics. So I think, I don't want to say that had I not been in that environment that I never would have wanted to go, but I think it just made it like very easy for, yeah. Yeah. No, I I think, you know, it's, it's so funny how, you know, we choose the colleges that we want to go to and how that actually shapes, you know, who we become. Because I, you know, walked on to a team. I walked on and it happened to be a really damn good rowing team. And I had never done the sport before, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, like, who knows, like, I, what would have happened beyond mm-hmm. that? But I, I think that's the hard part about, like, making decisions about, you know, what college you want to do or what job do you want to do. It's like, sometimes you just got to make a decision and go for it and then let it, let it roll. Right. But that's the great thing I think about being younger is like, you don't overthink it because you don't really know what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. You're just like, Oh, this sounds good. I'll go with that. And now when we get older, you're, you're like weighing all your possibilities and you're thinking of 50 million things instead of like, I just, I, we probably both just like went with our gut. Oh, this seems cool. Yeah. But now we like ignore that so much because we're weighing 50 million things. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that we, Go, like that that is the evolution and maybe why this transition as we get older is harder because we go from like intuition and gut to like I don't know judgment and thought and thinking process like is that what you I kind of feel like that I mean yeah. and when I just think about myself as a kid yeah you know in high school like how I made that decision 
like I didn't even think of really the pros and cons. I just was like, oh, I like this place. I like this place. This is like in my gut, this is what I liked, you know? Right. And I didn't really think of what would it be like to live there or what would it, you know, would getting home for holidays be a pain or like nothing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and now I feel like it's, it, you just, I just feel like I overcomplicate all of my decisions a little bit, if that makes sense. Because I, you know, I just know more. I'm more at, yeah. So, and then I also think when I was a kid, I used to think, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll just do something else. And now I feel like when I make a decision, it has to be like such a long-term thing, which is, and I don't know why, but like even just moving to the Bay Area, it was like such a big decision to make. And and everyone was like, well, no, if you you move there and in three months you don't hate it, just do something else. That's why I always, I think I get wrapped up in this like thing where I don't, I feel like any decision I make has to be the right one and that I Mm -hmm. can't like switch it later. Mm -hmm. I often forget that. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, you know, I'll speak for myself, of course, but I I think sometimes realizing, like I realized, oh, if I uh, put all of my energy towards something, I can achieve it. Mm -hmm. And so I better be really careful about what I decide to put my energy towards, you know, instead of like, oh, it could work. It could not. I could fail. I could not. And so it's like, no, I, I, I know I can succeed. And so like you almost get wrapped up in like, uh, instead of taking it by the moment, you're like, I know in 10 years I could be really good at this, but do I want to? Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, yeah. but that's what I think you don't think of when you're younger. You're just in the here and now you're not thinking 10 years down the road. Cause you're mm-hmm. just like, this is what I want to do now. I like this now, yeah. which I think can be great. I wish I had more of that now. While you were in college, you got into the university of Oregon, great education. What were you wanting to do? with your degree. So you got a BA in business. Um, that means that for at least a year, there was a plan A that was not going and becoming an athlete, right? Yeah. So because I went into school as being, okay, I'm just going to be like a normal person. I'll I'll do these, do athletics. So my school will be paid for, but it's more going to be about the education and yeah. like getting a job, like a normal person. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, so mature. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I picked business because I felt like it was broad enough that I could do a number of different things, but I also hated science. So I didn't have to do science if I did business. Smart. Yes. Um, so that's why I picked that. And I did I I mean, there were many times when I was at school and especially the last two years of school when we would kind of get into the more like um, specific classes, business classes where we get to do like really cool group projects or we get to go look at different companies. Like I would get sucked in and be like, this is really cool. Then I get like motivated to like start my own company or do, you know, like, so there were definitely like sides to that where I, I was like, I could see myself just like starting my own business. So you envisioned a a future that was post-college that wasn't athletics. But only for like the first year of college. And then Uh, after those Olympic trials, it was like, and and you know, I I guess I shouldn't say that. I I would say probably for my last year to year and a half is when I knew I'm going to be a professional athlete, like after college. Uh, Before that, it was just like, 
I just want to finish college. Oh, I'm going to, I actually am putting more energy into track and field. I really like this. And yeah. then, but it wasn't to like my last year of college that I was like, I want to be a professional athlete oh, or I know I can be a professional athlete. I guess yeah. I should say, put it that way. Yeah. And I read, you've written somewhere. Um, I think it's on your website that when you graduated, you got an agent, mm-hmm. you got a sponsor mm-hmm. and you went pro. Well, so yeah, that's how the, how it works. So Ashton's a year older than me. Ashton is my husband. Um, and we trained together. He's a year older. So his was more of like a traditional path for how it went. He graduated from college and well, around the time of NCAAs in college, um, you start having agents talking to you. So your last year, um, and they, you know, it's like you interview them. So I think Ashton sat down with like three different agents and interviewed them. Um, there was one that was around, um, Eugene consistently, uh, that we already kind of like felt, he felt a connection to, and like, we felt like we already knew. Um, and so he, had, we, he ended up, um, picking, choosing them as his agent and, through that, through Ashton being with these people for a year while I was still in college, I obviously got to know them um, very well. And then, so Ashton gets an agent, then they start like shopping him around to different shoe companies, um, basically, or the shoe companies come to them and are like, we're interested in this kid and start giving offers. And then you basically, and, and, and it's like, um, a salary, like a base salary, you have a contract. This is what you're required to do for this salary and then bonus structure. And it can obviously all be negotiated or, you know, different. Um, I mean, it's like selling your worth, you know, and the, the, the agent, yeah, exactly. (laughs) The agent does that for you. And then after that deal is done, they might do other deals, you know, if if it's like a drink company or a watch company or sunglasses or whatever. Um, but then they also organize all of your travel. So, Ashton signed with Nike, um, in 2010. And so mine was like my whole path, like that path was a a little bit different because Ashton and I were married Mm -hmm. because we had the same coach. I had very little bargaining power because, well, first of all, I already had already chose that agent. I liked them, but it just made sense to have them managing both Ashton and I because we were traveled, do the same meets and everything. I had very little bargaining power at the shoe companies because again, we were trained at the University of Oregon, which was a Nike school and Ashton was with Nike. And so it was going to be very difficult for me to sign with a different shoe company unless we left Eugene. So, so my whole thing, I mean, I, I ended up signing with Nike, but it, it was, um, you know, I started out with just gear. I didn't even have, I didn't even have like a salary, um, because they, they, I mean, why would they pay me more? I, they, they didn't have to because they, I was going to stay in Eugene anyway. So how my agent, thankfully how they ended up doing it was, um, just building like a really great bonus structure. So anytime I would win anything that would roll over onto a salary. And then we only signed it for a year so that they would have to renegotiate. So it ended up working out all okay. But, um, yeah, I, I had a little bit of lack of, um, any sort of like pull, I guess, when yeah. it came to bargaining. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of want to, dive a little bit deeper into this and it's like what we were just talking about with like changing your last name yeah. it's almost like how 
how was that like navigating your own identity and like being in the same sport as your husband? Like I can barely work out with my husband. <laughs> Let's just put that out there. It, I mean, it, I feel like I still struggle with this. Um, so in college, so Ashton's a year older than me and we would pretty much hit the exact same benchmarks at the same time. So like his freshman year, he wins into NCAAs. Mm-hmm. My fresh no, sorry. He he qualifies for NCAA's. His sophomore year, he wins NCAA's. My freshman year, I qualify. My sophomore year, I win NCAA's, but he breaks the NCAA record that same year because he's a year earlier. So I'm doing all the same things at him right. in the same years, but like he's doing one thing better at that same time. Does he, do you know what I mean? Just like so, you. so oh, I felt so like I was always just like, hey, yeah. I we got a big celebration in the cake and fireworks for Ashton last year. And yeah. I did the same thing, but yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? Mm. People always would come up. Like if we were together, he would, they would come up and be like, Hey Ashton, can I get a picture with you? And then it was like 10 seconds later, they'd look over and realize that I was there too. So they would mm. see Ashton first mm. or a lot of the time. And this still happens when we would get invited to something, like they would reach out to Ashton mm-hmm. and say, will you come to this dinner? Oh, and, and bring Brianne if she's free. And I'd always be like, okay. And I still do this. Do they actually want me to come? Mm-hmm. Or are they just asking me to come because they feel like they have to? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like that, and that's sort of like the come to the banquet dinner or whatever. Yeah. It's like I still struggle with that. I'm like, it's not going to hurt my feelings if they just want you to come, but it would make me more upset if they're just doing it because they feel like they have to invite me. Does that make sense? Completely. Yeah. Has it ever kind of like stopped you up? Like, has it ever like been, have you ever felt kind of like stifled by it? I actually feel like it's gotten better over the years. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I just, I don't know. I don't know if it was our coach Harry or what, or if I just grew up and matured. But Mm -hmm. at some point I was just like, get over it. Mm -hmm. Like, who cares? Do you know what I mean? Who cares? He, yeah. And then it got to a point where like he was breaking world records in college. And I was like, not gonna happen. <laughs> not gonna break a world like, record. So it. I should just stop trying to keep up. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. then it at and it, I don't know when exactly it happened. It was probably you know around, after the London Olympics when I finally was like, you know what, I'm gonna quit like comparing myself to him or trying to do what he does or even like pay attention to people comparing me to him or I'm just gonna do my own thing. Like I'm my own person. Yeah. I'm gonna focus on my own performance and I'm just gonna like if. If we're together and everybody is all about Ashton, like, yeah. cool. Yeah. He deserves it. Do you know what I mean? But another thing that I think made it really easy was that Ashton was very aware of it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he would always um, – and he knew how I felt about, like, being invited to things if they, it was sort of like an afterthought. Oh, I'm bring Brienne, you know? So he, he was aware of that, but he also um, – he never made the situation, like – he always made it about us together if it was like something yeah. together. Do you know? So yeah. I think he helped it a lot too, but. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Sorry. Yeah. This is That's super good. interesting, but I, I, you're an, a phenomenal athlete in your own right. Like you've, I, I'm just looking at your, um, your track record here. Um, four world championship medals, three of them silver, one of them gold, and then a third place medal at the Olympics in 2016, like (laughs) in your own right, you, you remove your husband from the equation. 
And it's like, it, that's such an incredible career, right? And so what we're really, we're, what brought us together and is getting us to talk about this is you can't do that forever, right? You retired mm-hmm. after 2016. And I kind of want to, I, I want to shift into that. So you went to two Olympic games mm-hmm. and um, when did you know it was over? Like Aaron's talked about when she knew it was over was when she crossed the line essentially in 2012. Can you talk a little bit about what, what, what led up to your decision to retire? And um, then we can kind of dive a little bit deeper into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew after 2012 that, and I got 11th in 2012, um, that I wanted to make a run for 2016, that I was going to be 27 years old or whatever, however old I was in 2016. Like that was my chance to win a medal. Yeah. And and that was going to be it. Like I wasn't going to do another Olympics. I knew after 2012. Is that kind of like, what is the general age for track athletes? Um. Well, from it varies by event, but for my event, like once you get to be about 30, I mean, you don't see many 30 year old athletes sure. like continuing to po- like get on the podium. Uh-huh. So I was falling between, you know, I was 28 and then the next Olympics, 2020, I was going to be 32. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to medal at 32. Yeah. There's just no way. So I knew that, um, 2016 was like my time. Yeah. Um, so it's so I, crazy. Like you were going through this process of like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a lot. So, I mean, but even, even then, like in 2020, 2015, I remember thinking, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to retire after 2016. And then 2016, like the beginning of that season, I was like, there's no way I'll be able to retire after this. And so Ashton and I had been talking about, okay, well, let's do one more year after 2016 because there was a world championships, especially if we both do well at tw- in 2016. I mean, there would still be sponsorship deals. There'd still be money to be made. Let's do the 2015 Olympics. Because you were 20- having fun. Yeah. Like it gave you yeah. a lot. Okay. Let's do the 2017 uh, world championships. And then in 2018, it was a down year. That would be perfect year to retire and just end it all. Mm-hmm. So that was the plan was like, um, you know, it was, it was not, it was, it was, wasn't like I knew at, in Rio when I crossed the finish line that like I was, that was my last race. It's not mm-hmm. like every race I did, it was like, this is my last hurdle race. This is yeah. my last shot, but throw. Yeah. I, I legit thought I was going to do one more year. Okay. Um, and I, the 800 meters for the heptathletes, it's the, it's a distance event and we're sprinters and jumpers and like everybody hates the 800. It's painful. Every, every 800 I've ever run pretty much. I've always said, I, I've, you know, 20 minutes before it, I'd be telling myself, why do you do this to yourself? This is so yeah. stressful. I'm retiring after this. I can't do this anymore. And it, it, I, I've been doing this since I was like 15, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and so again, 2016 Olympics, those same things are happening. Like I need to run a certain time to get a bronze medal. I'm like, this is so stressful. I can't do this anymore. But after every single 800, I'd finish and you're in a stadium and I'd get to do like a lap around the stadium with right. the other 30 heptathletes. And right. I'd be like, this is why I do this. Cause it's yeah. awesome. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. so much joy. Like I don't even, I don't experience that anymore ever. Like it's just this unbelievable feeling. Well, when I crossed the line in 2016, it, I was, did not have that feeling. I was like, really, I'm done. I can't, I had none of that good like that was amazing feeling. And did I, you know you got a bronze in that moment? Mm-hmm. 
And we go to bronze, wow. but I was just like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Wow. That was not fun. This was like so stressful. And then, you know, once I stepped back from it, like a day or two later, I thought, well, this was, you know, the Olympics is like emotionally draining year. Like you're just stressed out all year. And I was like, it's just the stress from, from that. And, um, take three months off like we normally do and I'll like rejuvenate and it'll all be fine. Yeah. Um, and then it was three months later, it was the end of November and our coach sent us a text message being like, Oh, let's like get together. We need to start figuring out the next season. Cause he was under the impression we were doing one more year. Cause that's yeah. what he, we had been telling him Yeah. actually. And, um, a month after we were done with the Olympics. So this was like end of September, Ashton and I were in the Rocky Mountains, like near Whistler hiking. And nice. Ashton started bringing up, he started saying things like, I don't know, I think I might be done. And I was like, Ashton, stop, stop. Like, <laughs> don't, don't, let's not talk about it. We said we were going to give ourselves three months. When he said that, I don't think I was ready to make, I knew I wasn't ready to make a decision. And I still thought like, it scared me like le- retiring. And then, so move forward two two months later, end of end of November, and our coach texted us and was like, we gotta kinda get going. And I went out for a run and I had this and Ash and I didn't mention anything to each other because it was a group text message, but I didn't say anything to Ash and he didn't say anything to me. I went out for a run and I had this like gut feeling, like strong gut feeling like I don't want to do this anymore. Like I was picturing myself going to the track and doing like a med ball warm up and running and throwing shot put. And I was like, this sounds like the worst. I don't want to do that anymore. And so I came home. I did not say anything. And this was in the morning because I was like, I'm just going to let these feelings sink in. That was very weird mm-hmm. to me. And then that night at dinner, Ashton said, I'm done. Yeah. And I was just like, what? And I remember being not shocked that he, he wanted to be done because he was in a very different place than me. He had broke a world record and won his first Olympic medal in 2012. Right. And so then those next four years for him, and he can speak more to it, I'm sure. But, um, it it was like him trying to motivate himself. Mm -hmm. Like what else is there to do? I've broke the world record. I've won an Olympic medal. He's now just trying to stay on the top. And yeah. Yeah. And for me, it was like, I didn't achieve anything yet. So I had this like fire for four years. So I already knew he was kind of becoming disinterested in the sport. So when he said he wanted to retire, I was like, this is not surprising to me, but I'm, this is just a weird coincidence how this is all happening. And I was like, really? Cause I had this feeling today when I was on my run that I just didn't want to do this anymore. And he's like, I'm hundred percent done. I know it. I've made the decision already. I made the decision months ago. Um, but you didn't, you know, didn't want to talk about it yet. So I, that's when I was like, okay, well I need to start doing some like deeper thinking about this. Cause it was the first time that I had that feeling. So I basically took probably two more months to just think about it mm-hmm. and talk to people. And before I was like, yeah, okay, this is a for sure decision. I mean, I'm very type A. And when I make a decision about something, I, I want to start going down that path very quickly. So I started calling people and I was like, listen, this is how I'm feeling. What is, did, I think this means that I should retire, but I'm not sure. Does that just mean I need, need more off time or does that mean that I should retire? And so I was asking everybody and everybody was saying, sounds to me like you're ready to be done, you know? So, but I needed like confirmation because I didn't trust myself that that's yeah. what I was feeling. Um, and then once it was probably like a week. And then once I had enough people, 
um, like Kate from Visa was, and, and my sports psychologist and some other people that I was calling were all saying, yeah, it sounds like you're ready to be done. So then it was like, okay, I'm going to retire, you know, coming to terms with that and then figuring out like, what is life going to look like? And again, having a lot of people just giving me different scenarios of what are you, how are you going to do? What are you going to do and say in this situation? How are you going to feel? How are you going to structure your day? Literally the fifth day, no, the first day after deciding to retire, I was packing up my gym bag and Ashton's like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going to the gym. He's like, what gym are you going to? (laughs) I was like, I'm joining a new gym. And I'm going to go do a spin class. And yes. I, cause I was like excited. I was actually excited. Yeah. I was actually <laughs> excited to like try all these workout classes that other yeah. people had been doing. Cause I wasn't allowed to do them. And I, 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 Ashton was like, what gym are you going to? And I can't even remember what, what I said, but it was like a planet fitness or 24 hour fitness or one of those kinds of gyms. And right. he was like, uh, I don't think that's a good idea. And I was like, no, it's going to be fine. I already called. I'm, I get, I am going to try, try it out for a week and just see. And he's like, I, I don't know. And it, so he knew right away, this isn't a good idea. And I had no idea. I go to, it, it's in a strip mall. First of all, it's like in a kind of in a mall. Yeah. Awesome. Well, welcome to the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> I walk in and, and Kate, Kate Johnson told me, about these feelings she was having. And I was like, that's not going to happen to me. And I remember walking into this gym and I remember thinking exactly the feelings that Kate said she felt. And, and I hope nobody takes this the wrong way, but I felt I walked in and there were a bunch of regular everyday people. And I remember thinking, no, no, I, I, I'm an Olympic athlete. I should not be here. This is like, the, you know, like all of these people, like I used to go into this like amazing gym where I was surrounded by athletes and everybody was doing like really cool lifting, like good yeah, form, like structure. Yeah. yeah. And these people were like hanging around and talking and, and you'd have these guys that were only doing pull-ups and bench press over and over and over and over and over again for like 20 minutes. And I was just like, I can't do this. Like yeah. I, I should not be here. And I remember I went out into like the strip mall area and I just cried. I just like cried. I was like, I can't can't do this for the rest of my life. Almost like, where are my people? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Where are my people? Like I am an Olympic athlete and I am just in this, whatever the gym was, you know, I did go into my spin class and I did it and it was fine, but I was just like miserable the whole time I was doing it. Hmm. I came home and I was like, I can't join that gym. Ashton's like, I knew this wasn't a good idea, but I was like trying to very quickly like figure out my routine Mm -hmm. and I knew I'd want to keep working out. And so I was just, he was like, you just need to give yourself a little bit more time. Like, and you don't need to join a gym. Like, why don't you just work out outside? Why don't you continue to use U of O's gym? Mm -hmm. Like they won't care if you continue, like just use the same gym. But I felt like, well, no, I'm a normal person now. Like I should be using normal people's stuff, not like my elite training gym. But anyways. So, Brianne, can you, like, rewind back a little bit to the years you spent as an elite athlete and what that meant to you? Like, what did that – who were you? Like, how did you introduce yourself or what did you identify as? Because we've talked about this a lot and and dug into the literature a bit about the idea of athlete identity – and there's a – you identify yourself as an athlete. Others identify you as an athlete – how much did that affect you? Because obviously it was your job 
Mm -hmm. right? And it was what you spent your time and your passion doing. But like how much of how how much of your self-identity was wrapped up in in being an athlete? Mm-hmm. Um a lot, but it was it was weird because I wasn't the kind of like people would have to probe quite a bit to figure out what I did. Like if I was huh. sitting on an airplane and people would like I wasn't the person right away to be like I'm I'm an elite athlete. Like they'd have to what, what do you do? And I usually be like, well, I'm self-employed or something, you know, like I just didn't even want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, because then I'd have to get into, no, I don't ride a horse and no, I don't shoot. I, the heptathlon is, you know, cause as soon as I started going down that route, yeah. then they had 50 million questions. Yeah, cause they didn't know it, what it was. Biathlon? Is biathlon yeah. the one with the shooting? I, yeah, yeah, that's right. the, yeah, that's a skiing and shooting. That's yeah. a winter sport. But right. then there's yeah. like a modern pentathlon that involves right. horses and people right. always get like confused about it all. So, but, but that I, I feel like I didn't ever have to s- explain like what I did or who I was because I was just like so comfortable in my yes, identity. Does right. that make sense? Absolutely. It was just like, that's who I was, but I didn't need to express it to people because I right. felt like so comfortable. Yeah. 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 You have this, like, you don't have to justify yourself to yourself or anyone else because you're yeah. doing the thing that you know you're good at. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was like a lot of that. And I also liked it because I was, um, the big thing to me was like the community. It wasn't just like my everyday community of training, but it was like going to training camps with my Canadian teammates or whatever, wherever we would go. There's just like this community of people that they got what you were doing and you didn't have to talk about it, but everyone was the same. And and, you have a purpose, a mission. Yeah. But, but I did find it was interesting that once I decided to retire, like I wanted, it was hard when someone would ask me like, what are you doing now? I felt like I needed to explain, like, I couldn't just say, well, I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm just kind of trying to figure it out. I'd have to like explain all these deep feelings or like what I was going through instead of, cause clear, which made sense. Cause I like was not comfortable with what I was doing. So I couldn't just be happy to sit in and be like, oh, I'm going through a transition phase, you know? Cause I was like, yeah. All the words. Yeah. I know. No, yeah. So that kind of brings me to, you know, the question, and we've talked about this before, like the the space between the mountains, if you will. Like, what was that like? And was there anything helpful? Because um, you took a, you took like a good year off before you um, got into your new position, mm-hmm. right? A director of operations, which mm-hmm. we can get into a little bit because it's fascinating. But like, what did you do in that year? And was there anything that was helpful? And was there anything that like, shit, I would not do that again? Um, yeah, there was a lot of, I, I don't think there's anything I, well, yeah, there is stuff I wouldn't do again, or there's things that I would do that I, I didn't do. Planet Fitness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be like the number one thing. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so I took a year off without having a job, which was very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I started creating my own routine. I worked out a lot. You know, I just felt like that was like a good release. Like I'd sometimes work out twice a day. I'd like run in the morning and then I go to yoga class. That's what normal people do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You also got two certifications, didn't you? Yeah. So I'm still working through one of them. Um, yeah. And it's actually over here in Berkeley. Um, but I started doing one online. So so during that downtime, I was, um, I love, I got really into nutrition and food when I was an athlete. And so I was like, 
I'm going to start a blog. So I started a blog. I started blogging my recipes. Um, I actually had a lot of fun in that year. I worked with different companies, like creating different stuff, talking to a bunch of different people. But and, and so that was definitely something that I thought was very helpful because it gave me like structure to my day and felt like I was productive and something doing something. to wake up for. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was also like, I mean, my freedom, I could still kind of go and do what I want or take a day off, day off if I wanted. Um, and the one thing looking back that I wish we would have done that we didn't was just travel. Like, we didn't have anything to do. And I was like, we should have just left for three months and traveled all over the world. And we still talk about them. Like, I don't know why we didn't do that. Um, we got a dog, which filled a lot of my time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> which I, I, I still think this is a, this is a great, um, idea to get all, um, recovering Olympians dogs. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it, it was like the perfect timing. Cause when you have a eight week old puppy who's like pooping and eating everything, pooping all <laughs> yes. over the house and eating everything. Yeah. It was like structure to my day. We, I had a routine with her yeah. that was just like very regimented. And yeah. For me, it was like about creating routine. Like I didn't want to wake up one day, every time, every day that I'd wake up and I didn't have anything to do was when I would struggle because I'd be mm-hmm. like, I have no purpose in life. I have no community. I have no one to hang out with. I have no friends, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I have no job. And so I created this like mini some some people could say like sort of like useless structure routine of like creating creating recipes and blog posts and training my dog. <laughs> That's what I did for basically yeah. the year. Um, Were you still up in Eugene? Yeah, and and that was another thing. Like we we talked all that we knew we were only going to be in Eugene for one more year and then we wanted to move. So we also spent a lot of that year figuring out where we wanted to move to. Did that make it hard kind of being, having the same surroundings as you were in when you were still competing? No, because we just stayed totally away from all the training facility area. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't even go there anymore. Uh, But Eugene was tough because it was boring. There was like not a lot to do. We didn't feel like there was, we didn't feel, we feel like we needed to get out and there wasn't a lot of opportunity there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, we spent our time figuring out to move to San Francisco. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. It was a good choice. Um, so what was the like evolution? So obviously you decided that you wanted to move to San Francisco and you know, when did you decide that? And, and yeah, why? So I, Ashton was the one coming here looking for his opportunity. I Mm. was like, I'm just going to keep blogging and see where, what comes next. Um, And when we came here, that's when, you know, everyone always says, oh, use your network as an athlete. Like anybody would hire you. Like things will just fall. Just talk to as many people as you can and things will fall into your lap. And I never really bought that. I was like, no, that's not, it's not that easy. Um, Yeah. We, we got, I got connected to this guy um, through my athlete network. He actually wanted to meet both Ashton and I, and I thought it was just another meet and greet. You know, we had been having so many of those since we moved to the Bay Area. Everyone's like, oh, you should meet this person and go for coffee with this person. And I thought it was just like another meet this person. Well, we went into his office and he basically pitched us this idea and asked if we wanted to work with him. And I was like, whoa. I said to this, the, my, the guy I work for now, my boss, I said to him a number of times, I've never had a job. I, I'm, I'm telling you 15, 20 times. I said, I've never had a job. 
I, I, I believe I can learn very quickly. I'm motivated, but like, and he, and he's like, I know Brian, calm down. Don't worry. I'm like, okay, but I don't know what I'm doing. Like if you ask me to do something, I'm probably going to have 30 questions. Cause I don't know what that means. And he's like, no problem, no problem. And like, wow. so, so still to this day, like he'll, he'll say something, you know, and just because he's been in the business for so long and I'll be like, I don't know what that is. Right. You know? And right. he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so then he'll explain it, you know, just like, um, but it's, yeah, I just learn my way through everything. And sometimes I think, how am I doing this? Because like, I'm writing like onboarding handbooks for start like company. I'm like, I didn't even know what onboarding meant when I, you know, just like crazy stuff like that. So what role does, um, sport, or I guess I, I like to call it just movement Yeah, <laughs> playing your life now. Like, do you have a healthy relationship with it? Is it like something that you look forward to when you wake up or is it like, Oh, I should do this. Um, because it makes me feel better. Or I have to do this. Um, it's depends on the day. I'm, I'm lucky because the, where I'm working is everybody around me is like very big on, you know, like exercise is like of really high priority just with all of our employees, which is so nice because we'll like organize workouts, um, in the day to like all work out together and stuff like that. So when it's like that, it's really fun when I have a busy, stressful week where I have a lot going on and I'm like having to cram workout somewhere and I just don't, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing it. Mm -hmm. Then it's kind of like, I have to do this, but I don't really want to. Mm -hmm. Um, but I definitely would say that I, find time six days a week to work out. I have, I have one question I really want to ask. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on like the role of social media in your, cause it seems like you've made, at least it seems this way, a conscious decision to not really participate in that world. Yeah. I think so. Social media has never been something that came like really naturally to me. Like I always kind of thought of it as like, oh, I better take a picture so I can post something. Like it was, it was just like always a to-do item or like a job. And that I think, you know, you see the athletes who post a lot and are really good at it. I, I just think like that would just consume so much of my energy and time to do that every day. Right. Um, so I, I just feel like I'm the kind of person who's like, I just, I couldn't be bothered to like take the energy and time every day to like promote what I'm doing or like show everybody what I'm doing. Um, I also feel like what I'm doing now is not interesting. You know, like all of my followers are track athletes or, or people who are interested in track and field. And so when I was training, it was a lot easier because it was like post something about your workout you're doing and people thought it was super interesting. And now I'm like, well, I sit at my desk (laughs) and I work and I walk my dog. And so like, what should, what, unless we're like traveling and there's something cool, what am I going to post today? Like I've not, I didn't do anything interesting. Do you feel any pressure from anybody else's social media? Like, does that affect you at all? Because it certainly affects, I find myself having to limit time and not follow certain people so that I don't feel like I'm not living up to somebody's expectations or not, you know, it's the yeah. social media thing. It's like people post what's not the real story. Yeah. The nice story. Um, I don't really feel any pressure. I mean, I, I, I scroll through social media every day, but I feel like I do it at the end of the day. And it's just like, a mindless sort of entertainment to me that just relaxes me, but I don't ever think it doesn't make me like uptight or anxious to be like, Oh, I need to 
get more into this or I, I should be posting more or anything like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like I'm such a regular person now. And like, I, I see like my sister or all of these other people who, and they just like, don't really use social media that much. I'm like, yeah, that's me now. I just yeah. don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So how do you, like after this, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like your transition's going now? I feel like it, I feel lucky to have the, to be in or have had the transition that I've had. I don't think it's done. I mean, some days, like, especially when I, I go to a track meet, like with all of my old community that I'd hang out with, like, it's tough. Like, that's when I feel like I get the most emotional about it is, is like, oh man, that was so, not that I would want to be back in it, but I'm like, I miss this. I wish I could go to every track meet with them and just hang out and not yeah. have to train or compete or do anything. And that I could somehow make a living doing that. For for the most part, day-to-day life, I feel pretty content with like what I'm doing and happy. Um, I think having Ashton has been helpful. Yeah. Um, like moving here, starting something new together. Um I think all that has been really healthy, but I think just the base of like having a full understanding of what I was getting myself into, like when I decided to retire has helped just like talking to all those people and really thinking it through and sort of coming up with like a plan for it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And that's a wrap on our interview with Brianne Tyson Eaton. A huge thank you to her for her time and her candor about her journey navigating the transition from world-renowned athlete to what lies beyond. She's navigated it with grace and ambition, and I, for one, am seriously inspired. You can follow her on Instagram at btysoneaton, which is not spelled how it sounds, so you can find this written out on our website at humbledpodcast.com in the show notes for this episode. Our podcast editor is the incredible Corey Schreppel, without whom we would not be in your ears right now. That is a guarantee. We are going grassroots style on the Humbled Podcast and fueling the podcast through listener donations. So if you like this content, if you shared it, if you find value in it, please go ahead and go to humbledpodcast.com slash donate and give us some love. If you liked this episode and know someone who you also think would like it, please do not hesitate to tell them about the show. Also, go ahead and review the show. We love feedback. We're athletes. We love it. And find us on our personal Instagrams. If you feel like being bored, do tears. And go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you may listen. See you all next week for another episode of Humbled. Bye. Bye.